Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. Today, we're discussing Inspectors, a game about creating your very own paranormal investigation agency and researching creepy happenings. It's a fairly light comedy thing, too, which is awesome in these trying times. Parentheses, I assume that no matter when you listen to this in the future, it will be trying times. Now, let's solve the mystery of the curse of the legend of the haunted vampire's spooky ghost on System Master. Hey everybody, welcome back to System Mastery. It's me, Jeff, joined as always by John, your hosts. Hey, John, how are you? Mm, I'm doing all right. Yeah? Like, uh, should I see you with the women just around midnight or that kind of doing all right? (laughs) Yes, that's indeed the manner of all right that I am. (laughs) I hope not. The lyrics to that song are garbage. Ah, and so am Hmm. I. That's the level of all right I am. Oh, okay. You're all right in that you are generally garbage, but, you know, you've taken that into account. Yeah, you know, it's a sliding scale. You've set that as the as the baseline. When you when we press tear on the John scale, it's like, well, everything sucks, but Yeah. You gotta you gotta evaluate back and forth on the, well, you know, I'm on fire all the time, but, you know, maybe there's a breeze. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I know you were feeling pretty bad a couple of days ago, so I'm glad to hear you're doing better. Yeah, yeah. And we have been uh, actively given a shot to our to the new board game around here. The uh, that I I keep wanting to play that Stardew Valley game that I know you picked up. I even saw it the other day, but we didn't get to it. Oh, I know. Still playing our way through Dice Throne and the single play or the uh, PVE expansion to it, Dice Throne Adventures, and having a good time with that. Yes, indeed. It's great. I like it's- being a vampire. Yeah, and I really love the Shadow Thief. It feels like cheating. Ah. Which is my favorite thing to do, generally, is cheat. So a a class that's just like, hey, you want to cheat, and you're not? And I'm like, yes, but can I also cheat? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, perfect. (laughs) And then I'm like, stop cheating. And I'm like, no, I need to cheat. It's how I have fun. And you're like, okay, I guess I can respect that. And then you also say, let's go get a fresh pepperoni pizza. That's what we say. Mm Mm-hmm. That's you. That's what you're always telling me. And I have to be like, no, man, I'm on a weird diet. And I'm like, oh, okay, then let's get a fresh cauliflower crust, not pepperoni pizza. <laughs> I have actually started coming around to the cauliflower crust. Uh, it, it It's never been about the taste. The taste of them is perfectly fine. The texture was like, they get stuck to your teeth real bad. I didn't know what to, what to do with that as far as oh. eating a pizza goes. Uh, but I'm coming around to it and... Luckily, my daughter loves them, so since I'm allowed very little of even a cauliflower crust, light cheese, no red sauce pizza um, with my current diet, uh, I can just feed whatever I don't eat myself to Sage, and she's way into it. Sweet. She's going to grow up with weird ideas of what constitutes good pizza. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I definitely feel like there's going to be a point where like Sage is going to go over to some other kid's house and be like, what the hell is all this? What is this on bread? This is some garbage. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> you bring me a weird cauliflower mash. I would also, like what's no up with, sauce. What's up with this red stuff? 
Well, I put a sauce on there. I just the two things I'm doing are very low carb and very low sugar. And red red pizza sauce, it turns out, is basically got the sugar load of like a Snickers bar. Oh yeah, I mean it's just sort of ketchup with some herbs in there. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like take spaghetti sauce and add a half cup of sugar, and that's pizza sauce. Hooray! So I've been doing a lot of like extremely lightweight smears of pesto, or just putting a little bit of garlicky margarine on there. Mmm. And so there's sauce. It's just not the sauce that would be good or delicious. Indeed. Yeah. Because you're not allowed to have that. No, no, I am denied the good and the delicious until such time as I evade the dread demon of diabetes. Ah, yes. The constant yeah. threat. Yeah, I'm I'm not... Technically, I don't have diabetes. So that's great. We can pile that... It's another disease that we're not sure I have, right Right along with a whole bunch of different types of kidney cancer. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, it's... It's something that could definitely happen, so I'm I'm very careful about it at the moment. Oh, yeah. Every time I go to the doctor and they're like, huh, you're a fat guy. Let's do some tests on you. And I'm like, all right. And then they get it back, and they're like, that's weird. You don't have diabetes. And I'm like, I know, right? Weird. Yeah, I used to be that. And then time caught up with me. And I, gotta, I, gotta, I know you're a little younger than me, but it's going to happen to you any day now. Eh. Uh, oh, so, you know, <laughs> nothing bad ever happens to me. <laughs> I'm surprised you even still have feet. <laughs> anyway, this isn't what the people tune in for, but it's what they're fucking getting. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> this is the whole episode now. We just complain about our old man problems. <laughs> John, my sciatica's been acting up in my lumbagos recently. Yeah, welcome to old manstery. <laughs> well, maybe that's what we will turn it into when we get old enough. Oh, yeah. We'll get to a point where we're like, well, I've decided we've read every RPG that exists, so fuck it. Time to read every... Or we'll just switch the whole show to watching shit that's on the Discovery Channel. I'll be like, hey, have you guys seen, I don't know, something about sharks or something? They're great. Did you know that Hitler ran an army of secret alien truckers? I did! They were fishing in the Atlaskan Oceans! <laughs> The Atlaskan Oceans are a different secret. It's true. <laughs> it's it's the Atlantis Ocean off of the coast of Alaska. So we read Inspectors. We did read Inspectors because it wasn't very difficult. Well, yeah, it, it, we've been, we've had a busy couple of weeks. So there's no getting around that fact. We're, we're in the middle of writing the third book uh, and also dealing with the uh, both of us have been getting our vaccinations done and family vaccinations and what have you. It's just been, and, and I have had, I think I've had a doctor's appointment every other day for the past three weeks. Yeah. Just because they're trying to find something. They haven't found it yet, by <laughs> the way. Just keep prodding. I'm sure something's in there. Yeah. I, I don't know if what they're looking for exactly. I think maybe one of them left a glove in me. Maybe. And I keep telling them it's going to be in the butt. And they're like, they're like, no, 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 no. That's we got to check everywhere else first. <laughs> That's always the last place you look. Doctor's code. Uh, All of our doc listeners who are doctors are like, yeah, do please don't tell people about the doctor's code. <laughs> Just nodding along. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. all makes sense. I wish they wouldn't say that out loud. The doctor's code is a well-kept secret. Yeah. everyone. We tell everyone about the Hippocratic Oath, but not the butt check last rule. <laughs> God, that would be a terrible rule in practice. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Someone comes in and they're like, hey, I accidentally got something stuck in my ass. And they're like, well, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, I, fell, I fell in the 
shower. And they're like, great, well, let's get a biopsy. It probably went all the way up to your lungs. <laughs> I'm going to need an MRI on this one. <laughs> an MRI will definitely just rip the thing right out of you. It's going to be perfect. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> Inspectors. Inspectors. It's <laughs> a game that we read. Uh and that we are going to talk about. <laughs> Inspectors is a RPG that is mostly based on the Ghostbusters type idea, but with a little bit more of a uh, Silicon Valley twist to it. Yeah, yeah, you're very startup-y. It's, it's not that old of a game. I believe it's from around 2002, or at least the version that we read is. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can even go listen to One Shot, and they've done, I think, a couple uh, Inspectors episodes. So, you know, check that out on the One Shot Network at the One Shot Podcast. Oh, look at you being good to the network for one. That's that's Boom. rare from, from either of us. Look at me. I'm promoting. I'm being a good guy. I'm not. You know, it's not going to make them like us anymore, right? Oh, I know. They already like us as much as they possibly can. <laughs> Very little. Indeed. <laughs> that that's that's the maximum. You got to take into account that baseline. Yeah. Same thing with your health. Yeah. You you got it. Mhm. So yeah, it's I can see this being a good game for one shot because it's a, it's a fairly simple fast-paced game with a kind of comedy twist to it that would lend itself well to an AP, AP environment. Oh yeah. I mean, right from the start, this is definitely a game that is I would I mean maybe not entirely but mostly it's from the ground up a one shot type of game in that there really isn't character progression at all the only thing you can really progress is your own franchise of the inspector's business yeah yeah like the the basic goal of the game is to build the brand so very silicon valley oh yeah and you know depending on how you start, because you can start, you know, with different sized startups of your business, you'll have, you know, some benefits or maybe you'll just sort of suck. But if you want to keep playing past the beginning, you can try and build that up. But to start with, your character just gets made and then they are the, they're it. That's it. You're done. You're done. Yeah. And it's very easy to make a character too. Uh, but yeah, there's no progression to characters. You go, you don't level up. You do get minor bonuses that will stick with you here and there, but they can also fall off. So yeah, you're, you, you don't have any kind of personal growth and the, uh, that's presented <laughs> as a good thing. And, and it, you know, for most, for the most part, it is that your character is an index card that doesn't change over the course of however many games you want to play. Cause that means you can kill them and bring in a new person for fun whenever you want. You won't feel like you lost anything. And it lets you do things like if you're playing, say, in a large inspector's corporation, you'd be like, oh, we each have a couple different people and we can run like different characters for different things. And there's no point where you're going to feel like, oh, I didn't take my main character on this. That means I'm not going to be able to get the XP I need. You just sort of yeah. can play whatever and it doesn't really matter. There is a, a little note at the very beginning of the book in the kind of introduction section that really confirmed that this was written around 2000, 2002 for me, which is that it mentioned it, it has a little bit of self-effusive praise at the start. Not I'm not I'm not saying that it over brags or anything. That's not the case. What I'm saying is it's been received well. 
garnering a positive review on the Forge, an indie gaming website. And I was like, oh, you're from around 2000 to 2003, aren't you? (laughs) You're back when people gave a shit what the Forge thought. Lol. Because that's that's old timey. Uh, even I that that's before my time of really being invested in role playing games. But I, I keep hearing people ask me questions because they've got some holdover, like leftover thoughts about that era. So they're like, "What do you prefer between gaming narrativist and simulationist or whatever?" And I'm like, "I prefer games that I play. I, I like to play some games. I don't like to categorize them like I'm some person who's got way too many opinions about wine." <laughs> But I, yeah, but I'm I like appreciate... some person that has way too many opinions about other things. <laughs> I'm just saying that the the uh, the GNS system never seemed to. I, I it was an interesting idea to try to build a a language around which to discuss and uh, like review games and so on. But it got very fart sniffy and very clickish very fast. Yeah, and that, I mean, it also back... ended up being like you had to try and work everything into one category. So then it started being like the alignment chart of RPG where you're like, well, I think that this is more of a lawful neutral game. Yeah, exactly. And the worst part was that eventually the the uh, forums and so on surrounding the uh, the Forge and GNS at the time would be like, well, okay, but one of these three is the good one, right? Which one's the good one? Because I want to put all the games I like in that category and I will bend myself into a pretzel to do it. Yeah, well... That's what happens when you build those categories. That's why all we do is favorite, least favorite, would you play this? Nice, simple things that, that don't get twisted around. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, don't get it twisted. New, we don't give a shit. We're the new Ford. <laughs> I'm the largest animal to have ever existed. <laughs> that uh, joke was for John. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it, huh? Yeah. So it's a, you... uh, it's a... Well, fuck you, buddy. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm giving you... Uh, please, by all means, John, do talk. Please. All right. So... <laughs> so as I was saying. Thank you. That's why I didn't even finish. Okay. So you start up, and you are a startup, and this treats the sort of ghost hunter, demon slayer type thing as a nine-to-five job. Like, you are someone that clocks in, you get a job, and you go do it, And so it has that sort of comedy vibe to it as well of like, oh, I'm not like the chosen one going out to do stuff. I just, you know, got lucky on my job application and they gave me a big gun to go shoot a skeleton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, you you uh, got lucky on your job application and wandered away from the big egg chair. Then you got to work at, at the men in black while everyone else got neuralized. Oh, no, my big egg chair. Mm hmm. That's one of the few parts of the original Men in Black movie I remembered until I watched it again fairly recently. Ah. Was just the the part where, where like, Will Smith is interviewing with all the various military guys, mm-hmm. and the military guys are extremely pompous about everything, where they're like, we're here because we're the best of the best of the best of the best, sir! And and Will Smith's like, I would like to leave this room, and it, that's the only part I really that stuck with me, weirdly. That's odd. I know, because you think with a movie with a whole bunch of, like, cool aliens and gunfights and more tyrannies that I'd remember something else, but no. Well, I mean, hey, Even we've the, all got things where stuff only sits a little bit, just just yeah. like uh, just like Spawn. Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
how do you make a character in this game? Uh, well, it's very easy. You, there, you have four skills, which in any other game, they'd probably call them stats, but the, make, calling them skills makes perfect sense. Uh, and you get seven points to put in them. Uh, and you have to put a between a one and a four in each one of the four. You have nine, and you have to have at is least one I'm in sorry. each of them, and up I to four. It was seven. Yes. No, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. Okay, it is nine, uh, which means that you can have four twos and a three. Yes, indeed. Three twos, three twos and a three. You can have whatever you want. Four twos and a three would add up to eleven. That's that's on me. Yeah, and also there aren't five stats, so you know. Well, presumably you make up a fifth one. I mean, that that seems obvious. Oh, of course. The fifth stat is cheating. <laughs> and it of course, made. you have a four in it. For most people, it's probably dexterity. <laughs> All right. The <laughs> stats are? Stats are? <laughs> Academic, athletic, uh, technology, and some social contact. One. Contact. That's what it's called. Contact. Yeah, it's how well you remember the movie Contact, which, let me tell you, not not easy to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jake Busey's in it. Damn, who remembers that. that? This guy. I know Jake Busey's in it. Uh, I know I know a lot of the things they cut from the book were actually a pretty good idea to cut from the book. Yeah, all I know like is they the mentioned Occam's Razor a couple of times. That's about it. Yeah. I remember that in the movie, only Jodie Foster goes to meet the, the alien pretending to be her dad. But in the book, six people are on the ship, and one of them is Japanese. Uh, and when he gets there, he doesn't meet an alien who looks like his dad. He meets an alien who looks like a mighty samurai. God damn it. And I was like, that's a pretty good idea to cut that from the, from the movie, because that's stupid. Yeah, that's dumb as fuck. Don't do that. <laughs> Like, was the guy a samurai or even an especially strong devotee of samurai culture and Japanese history? No, he was like a scientist. Yeah. That'd be real weird. Like, if I if I went into the the little chamber and I'm like, oh, I'm at an alien and it, I don't know, it just looked like a cowboy? I don't know why. <laughs> Look, you can't actually see what I, I really look like. It would destroy your mind. But that's why I've taken the the, the shape of historic American figure Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, I've decided to, I don't know, what are you, Irish? I'm a leprechaun now, huh? How do you like that? <laughs> well, really, the Irish tradition is that I, leprechauns don't look anything like what Americans say they do. Ah, yeah, well, I'm an alien, so what are you going to do? <laughs> I look like uh, the leprechaun. I look like Warwick Davis in the leprechaun. You mean the leprechaun classic, because isn't there a new one now? Uh, there is, and it's garbage, and it can bite a fart. <laughs> well, that's a quite an incredible superpower it has. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> the uh, four categories are exceptionally broad. Academics is anything intelligent. Athletics is anything physical, including stuff like shooting guns and crossbows and what have you. Uh, technology is anything involving uh, scientific or technological devices. And contact is anything involving arguing with people or being social in any way. And you can you can pretty consistently, the book wants you to go ahead and use good ones if you can ever walk, talk your way into it. Oh, yeah. And technology also covers your ability to actually get equipment. So it's not yeah. just, oh, I can make a proton pack or whatever. It's if you want to be able to say like, oh, we're going to go on a mission and I need, I don't know, a van and some like exterminator outfits or something because we want to go undercover. You're like, great. You should roll technology for that and see if you can actually get a hold of it. 
Oh, wait a minute. Can you map these stats to the Ghostbusters? <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear it. I was going to say, please don't tell me that they tried to stick Winston Zedmore in athletics. No, these are not Good. specifically glad. to anyone because no one is athletics. That's true. No one in those movies was athletics. Yeah. Or technology. They had no money. Yeah. And then in the 2016 Ghostbusters, I think all four of these just describe Kate McKinnon's character. Mm, 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 and mm. and <laughs> everyone else oh, everyone else just has, you know, jokes. Yeah. They just got jokes. Yeah. Uh, anywho's, you also pick a unique talent, something that you are very good at, uh, a naturally gifted skill, and when you, you uh, can justify that you're, you are using that talent, you get a bonus die, and it does not get attached to any of the skills. So your talent can show up in any one of the skills if it's relevant. Yeah, so, you know, if I'm like, oh, I was a computer geek, so my special talent is computers, then I could both do it for, like, oh, I'm doing research online for, you know, whatever ghost problem it is we're trying to solve, and I'm rolling it for uh, academics. Or I could be like, oh, I'm trying to repair a computer, I'll use it with technology, or maybe I throw a mouse at someone and use athletics. <laughs> or I, I go to a nerd I, I... convention and use contact. I mean, ultimately, though, if you do try to use a mouse as a weapon, you'll quickly realize that it's hard to whip it back up into your hand and catch it. And that's why it needs to be a complex feat for you to be able to grab a uh, disarmed weapon. Oh, yeah. This isn't a free action. No, no, not at all. Are you kidding? No, I went out in my backyard and tried. Ah, I went out there and took my dough ass with a computer mouse and was like, huh, weird. I can't catch this easily. And obviously, I am a trained warrior. <laughs> uh, okay. Jesus. Man, a lot of in jokes today about role playing game theory and people from the from uh, from role playing game discourse, huh? Yeah, well, you know, sometimes discourse happens. Mm -hmm. Not a, not in our Twitter though. Never in our Twitter. Yeah, we pretty much stay out of the discourse, don't we? I think we mostly just drop bombs on Watsy from time to time. Yeah, but I don't want to get involved in most <laughs> discourse because all it is is garbage, and I don't care. I know. I a lot of our friends are deep into the discourse, and it seems like like all it does is generate awful hate. And I I respect them for doing it because getting your opinion said and out there that's a good thing and a good idea. Yeah, but, but also the they podcast. are miserable. I'll do it on the podcast where people can't argue with me. I ignore your comments. That's right. I I refuse your joinder. <laughs> you comment whatever you want on my website. I'm not looking at it. <laughs> I just go in there once a month and clean the spam filter. Uh, so, as well as all of your uh, talents and your skills, you are also going to have uh, cool dice. And mm -hmm. the cool dice is the thing that you can get uh, either if you start as a weird supernatural creature... Uh, mm -hmm. then you can get some to start with. Otherwise, you have to get it from stress rolls because this game has a lot of things that come up that will stress you out and fuck your shit up. <laughs> Which is probably for the best because that's the only way that your character can really be, uh, like, stopped. Like, uh, we're pretty much done telling you about character stats. There's cool dice and then there's those four skills and a talent. And that's pretty much everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to come up with your whole background and everything and, you know, what yeah. you used to do and why you applied and all that. But that's 
mostly just on you to come up with rather than a game thing. But there's no hit points. That's that's really the thing I'm trying to get at here is that there's no hit points and there's no damage mechanics. So you're not going to die unless you want to. Oh, yeah. This whole game is very much about putting the narrative in the hands of the players unless you fail a role pretty badly you get to either have input or totally control the outcome of what happens and death in this is basically just an option that they're like if you don't want to play this as like a haha comedy ghostbusters thing and you want to get like real and gritty with it then you can decide sure people can die whatever and mm-hmm. even then, it'll mostly be up to you whether or not you do. Yeah, or you could just do it if you want to have comedy goof up deaths in the game. Like, you know, if you want to use this to run like a Tremors kind of story where, sure, yeah, the, the dude who runs the convenience store is going to get eaten by one of the big worms, but it's still kind of funny. Uh, Spoiler alert, I recently saw Tremors. Spoiler alert, Tremors is fucking great. It is so goddamn good. Yeah, it's real good. Hey, y'all, if you ain't seen the original Tremors and all you think about is the sequels that are just real bad, don't. Go back, see that Kevin Bacon shit. Tight. Yeah, no, I was, I, I had uh, not been sold previously just because it didn't sound, I don't like horror movies in general, but that one is a well-constructed horror movie, which is all I really ask for from horror movies usually. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's got comedy. It's got horror. It's got a neat idea for stuff. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us on Movie Mastery. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the way, John, you missed a third cool, uh, a third way to get cool dice. Cool dice. Yeah, a third way to get cool dice is to go to our Etsy store. If you go to the Etsy store at System Mastery, you can purchase cool glow-in-the-dark dice with our logo on them. Oh my goodness, can they? <laughs> yes, they can. I'm not really do- running an ad right now. This is a joke. This is just a joke. You don't have to go do that. I mean, you don't have to, but you probably should. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. It's just a third way to get cool dice. <laughs> now, after right, you've you... <laughs> created <laughs> your character, now you have to create the actual franchise, and that ends up being uh, a little more in-depth as far as actually trying to come up with a whole thing, because there are a lot of questions you got to answer. You know, mm-hmm. you have to know, like, oh, are we like just the only one that exists did we just start up are we a franchise are is this a huge business and we work for the main office and there are other franchises around like there's a lot of questions to try and figure out what's the feel of this are we like professional men in blacks or are we the ghosty busters yeah, and specifically the early Ghosty Busters when when no one takes them seriously, uh, early in either movie because apparently everyone in New York forgot about them by the by the time the second movie started. Oh yeah, because they were like, oh, we need to have these guys be underdogs again, and I guess everyone says fuck you after they saved the city, so that's how that works. Yeah, I've always felt kind of bad about that. That I feel like it was wasted space for the, for. The, for them to not pull a Revenge of the Nerds 2 type of thing where instead of having to just do the exact same movie again, instead they learn the, like, perils of hubris after their their citywide celebrities for stopping the marshmallow the first round. Oh, yeah. Have them all be like, oh, we can take care of it, whatever, I'll have my assistant get in contact with you. Yeah, exactly. And then that fails, and then the city betrays them. That's the story I would have liked to see. That's why I'm, I, I only give the... Uh, 
second Ghostbusters movie an A plus minus. God, I I really like Ghostbusters too. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Even yeah. this book calls out Ghostbusters two for being bad, and I'm like, I don't care. I love it. You I mean, you can call it garbage all you want. It's not as good as Ghostbusters, but it's got a lot of really good shit. Oh, hell yeah. But then Ghostbusters is one of the top comedies of all time. So, you yeah. know, the bar is high. <laughs> so, uh, really, when you start with your franchise, you just need to answer a bunch of questions. How big is it? What does it look like? Does it have a specialty? That kind of thing. Uh, then you get to you boil down and actually start building some mechanics into it. By the way, this whole thing is happening as an improv ex- exercise between all of the players and the DM. Yes. GM. Uh, so all of these questions are being asked just around the table, like, uh, oh, what does the franchise look like? And it's just the first person to have a cool idea is right. And then you write that down. Yeah. So, you know, you all get to have input on that. And then the franchise itself has some stats where mm-hmm. you will put dice into three different cards that you have uh, that mm-hmm. map to uh, the stats except for contact. Yep, so you got library, gym, and credit, uh, with library being just, you know, you're, they're, they're pretty self-explanatory. Library is literally the access to a trove of information that you, you gain by being part of an agency. And if you have a lot of dice in it, then you've got a huge database. And if you have a small di- amount of dice, then maybe you just have a couple of old books or something. Uh, it's fluid, though, so it could also represent things like your ability to utilize the, uh, the resources available to your organization. Yeah, all of these are, uh, you'll have a number of dice depending on how big you want your franchise to be. So if mm-hmm. you're playing the scrappy underdogs who just started their business, you're going to have five dice between those three cards. Whereas if you're like, oh, we're the main people behind like the largest corporation of anti-supernatural things in the world, you'll get like 30. Yeah. Which he even mentions in the book, the author does, that 30 is, like, way too many, and it's going to make the game kind of uninteresting for a while. Because the way it works is this is dice that you can just use for any of your roles that are associated with that thing. So if I'm rolling technology because I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that we're outfitted correctly for this, I need, you know, a couple of hot rods and a big grenade launcher... And mm-hmm. that's going to be a ridiculously hard thing to get. So I'm going to use some of my credit card dice. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can just basically, when you pick up dice and roll them, you can pull dice off of these various cards if you would like to and add them to your roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a fourth card that can hold dice as well called the bank. And the uh, the way the bank card works is you can still pull things from it, but you you, you can uh, you can still pull dice from it, but you need to use a different color of dice than all the other dice because they will, in addition to contributing to the success or failure of your of your role, they have a second chart that they're looking at for how they how your bank bank interacts with you. Yeah. So normally the franchise dice, if I've got some dice on credit card and I want to use it, I pull a dice out, uh, I roll it, the die's gone, that's it. With the bank, you're basically gambling because mm-hmm. you can, when you roll with the bank dies or dice, however many you want to pull out, uh, yeah. you know, you'll get those extra dice just like you would anything else. And you can use it for any skill roll. So even if you want to use it for, you know, contact, which you normally can't use cards for or anything else, you can use those. 
But there is a chart that's like, oh, if you roll bad on any bank die, you might just lose multiple dice off of the bank or all of them if you roll a one on any bank die. Yeah, using the bank is a big risk. If you roll a six on a bank die, you put the bank die back, still get the six success out of it, and also add another die to it. But if you roll a one, you clear the bank. You lose all of the dice you have in your bank right now, and that's going to be a bad time for everybody. Oh, yeah. It's one of the things where I look at the bank and go, God, you should really never have more than like three in the bank, maybe, because... Otherwise, if you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, we did this thing and we banked like 10 dice and I roll one for this and I got a one and we don't have anything now. Hooray. Yeah, it's probably in, in most situations, it's best to get them out of the bank as soon as you can, because the game has kind of a flow structure to it where there is a step where you can take stuff out of the bank and put it into onto the cards instead by well, yeah. like reinvesting in the business. When you first start, the only dice that are in the bank are ones you didn't put onto your franchise cards. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the there's an entire thing once you finish a job that is the figure out what to do with everything step. But we'll get to that. Yep, absolutely. For now, just know that the bank exists and it's a big old risk. Yep. Also, there are job descriptions, although that is largely just sort of a joke that's present in the book where the group can sit around having some fun discussing what your rank is within the company, uh, who you're in charge of, and what, or sorry, what you're in charge of, because that actually means, like, people who who are the chief technical officer, for example, might be in charge of technology skill roles for the company, uh, while the the franchise or financial officer might be in charge of assigning uh, dice out to the various cards from the bank. Well, yeah, you could be like, oh, our, you know, chief technical officer is the one who hands out like the credit card or something and be like, Oh, you needed to buy a thing. Well, all right. Yeah. Or you could be that. I built this for you and play like the queue yeah. of your group. Yeah. Uh, this book was written in 2002. So that queue joke only functions for star Trek, the next generation or, uh, James Bond. It is too early for QAnon. Blah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what else we got? Uh, I think that's pretty much it to building a franchise. You just come up with a description. You assign a number of franchise dice to those various cards. You leave a couple in the bank if you want to. Uh, and the rest of it is all just descriptive stuff. Yeah. I mean, then, most of this game is just descriptive stuff. Let's be honest. The yeah, yeah. mechanics are when you go to do something, uh, whatever it is, it'll go with one of your four skills. And then you roll that number of dice for whatever you have in there. So if I've got, you know, an athletics of two and I'm trying to, I don't know, vault over a fence, I get to roll two dice. And then you look at the highest number rolled and compare it against the one to six chart. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a, the chart has results from six. Ju- and first of all, almost every result on the chart should just be Hey, describe what happens, because this is supposed to be a very player-focused game. Mm-hmm. So you uh, start so out, example- and it's, you know, if you get a six, you did great. Not only do you describe the result, you get two franchise dice, because mm-hmm. uh, the way that missions generally run are, it will keep going until you have managed to get the number of franchise dice that the job requires. So there's no, like... Oh, it ends when you kill, you know, the vampire lord. Instead, it's, 
all right, your job requires 24 franchise dice to complete. Once you have hit 24, you can essentially finish the job, but Mm -hmm. you can always go past that. You just won't get any more franchise dice for the end step, but that is your goal. And you can... Yeah, and you can also tactically solve the mystery too early by just figuring out what's going on and not getting enough franchise dice, in which case you just stop and cut the number of franchise dice you earned so far in half because you did everything wrong. Well, I mean, you can do that as a we fail and leave. Yeah. But because everything is completely just descriptive, it's not like the GM doesn't sit down and go, ah, yes, for this, the problem is... There's skeletons, and the skeletons are raised by a necromancer, and if you happen to kill the necromancer, the job is over. Because most of your roles for, oh, I'm doing research, or I'm doing whatever, are from the players, you could be like, oh, we heard there are skeletons in this farmhouse. And if you roll and go, oh, I do research on skeletons, turns out skeletons are only drawn to places of ley line power, and now you have ley lines in the mix. Like, you can just come up with whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you happen to roll a one, like if the highest die of all the ro- the things you roll is a one, then the GM gets to describe a truly dire situation that results from your incompetence. That's the uh, the GM decides your fate if you roll a one through a three is your single highest die. Uh, but even a three is like, all right, you might get to say a positive thing that happens from this horrible failure. Yeah, and then even then, it's not that like a three is oh you failed to do anything. It's just you don't get to describe it, the GM does. And you can be like, oh, I'll get, you know, something out of it, maybe. So you're like, oh, I learned a little something. Or, you know, I managed to hold off the rampaging monster for a second rather than actually hurt it. But it's not like, oh, you fucked up and you die. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but basically, other than those couple of results, the basic goal is to have the players be the ones who describe all the cool shit that might happen all the time. The DM is supposed to be more pretty hands-off in this game. Yeah. You will come up with a few basic things. I mean, you're going to be in charge of, as the GM, like, what the base premise is. Because one of the things is, you know, the company will get a call, Mm -hmm. and you are the one who decides what's the idea. So you're like, oh, the call is someone says, uh, uh, there's been spooky noises in my attic. And you go, okay, great. That's our baseline. But then when the characters go around trying to, you know, look up what's going on, you know, they go around the house doing whatever. When they roll, if they get, you know, a four through six and get to really describe what happens, they can be like, oh, that noise was mutant rats. And now it's mutant rats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be that you're gonna be have to stand back and let the D, the uh, players set the scene because they're going to. The moment they roll a four through a six, they're gonna be like, uh, "The thing that's happening is that there's I don't know zombies, and it doesn't matter if you planned aliens. It's zombies now. Maybe it's zombie aliens." Yeah, you as the GM are mostly there as a facilitator and to help with the like. Oh, you can move things along. You can set the goal as far as the franchise dice. You can set the initial idea of what's happening, but most of the time you're just there to collaborate on the storytelling rather than have the story be your whole thing. 
which is the sort of thing I really like, honestly. And it makes a lot of sense for why this would be a game that shows up more than once in AP podcasts. Because yeah. it lets everybody involved be the storyteller and get a chance to be interesting and, t- and you know, make it cool. Well, especially if you're dealing with, you know, a lot of people that are really good at, you know, doing improv, comedy, and, you know, quick thinking so you can come up with neat stuff. Like, it's a game that definitely lets you showcase everyone's creativity, which is mm-hmm. very nice. Uh, and the... <laughs> I'll get to a little more on the uh, the stuff that happens during the game. There are a couple more rules for the mechanics outside of just... You talk about the teamwork and so on. Yeah, so outside of just rolling your dice and looking at a chart, <laughs> there mm-hmm. are a couple other things. Uh, one is the game has a taking four rule. Yes, and... yeah, if you have a four and a stat then you can always just, unless you are literally so stressed out that you have a zero in that stat right now, if you have a, at least if you have a four in a stat, you can always just say, I take a four as my die result rather than rolling any dice. Oh yeah. Because if you've got a rating of four in something, you are completely maxed out. And honestly, the four being like, oh, you succeed and maybe something stupid happens being like, yeah, I'm very good at whatever this is. I should probably be able to do it unless I have gotten so stressed out or injured or whatever, because being stressed can be a lot of things. But when you get stressed, you lose dice. So if you manage to get to zero, then you can't take four. But other than that, you're like, yeah, no, I'm competent enough at this. I can just take a result of four if I want to. And the thing I appreciate about that is it even mentions in the book, the author's like, hey, you may find yourself already asking, what's the point of that? If I'm rolling four dice, plus I can pull more dice from other sources as well, why would I want to cut, or uh, I'm generally going to, on average, roll higher than a four. Why am I taking this low result? Well, it's because you can get stressed out and lose access to some of your dice. But even if you only have one die left in a pool that would normally start at four, you can still take four. Indeed. So it's actually a great way to let a character be stable in the in uh, the face of extreme stress if they happen to be especially masterful in one particular aspect of the game. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the we already went over the bank, although, man, losing dice That's... from that is almost certainly what's going to happen. Yeah, that, that is that is kind of the problem. Uh, the. I mean, granted, three and four look like they say a bad thing happens because they say account withdrawal, no benefit or penalty, lose this die. But you do still technically get a benefit, which is that you've got to add that die to the roll that you just made. Oh, yeah. If you roll a three or four, it essentially just works like any of the card dice does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Granted, they're not going to contribute much because you're really hoping for those fives and sixes but you're not really losing anything either. You expected to spend a bank, a die out of the bank, and you did. That's what a three and four do. Uh, if you roll a one or a two, it's bad times. A two is called service charge. You lose that die. Uh, you rolled a two on it, so it's only going to contribute failure to your, uh, in, to your check to see what happens on the base roll, and you have to go back to the bank and throw away an additional die as well. Yes. And then a one... Well, it's the same thing. It just contributes ultimate failure, but you also have to go to the d- the d- bank and clean it out. No more dice yep. in there. So, boy, is that ever a risk. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is there is teamwork rolls. Mm-hmm. If 
I'm trying to do something and let's say I've got three dice, then if someone wants to help me, they don't just say like, oh, I assist and add a die to you. Uh, they do a roll themselves and then give you one of their own dice. So mm -hmm. if I'm trying to fix something, uh, then you might say like, oh, uh, you're rolling that. Instead of saying, I help you fix it, and we both just sit there with our hands in the machine, you're like, well, I'll roll to try and get better equipment for you. And you do your roll, mm -hmm. and you give one of the dice to them. So yep. you might get, you know, a good success and everything else is bad. And then you have to decide, okay, well, do I want to fail at what I'm doing and help them out? Or do I want to succeed at what I was doing? And then I'll just give them a garbage die that they'll probably ignore. Uh, yeah, exactly. And you don't want to give them a super low die because you're potentially contributing failure over to them in a situation where they desperately don't want that. Yeah, I mean, they're still picking the highest die. Yeah. But you are giving them, essentially, at best, nothing. Yeah, that's true. You really it, it literally even says the teamwork never actually hurts the person you're trying to help. You can't fail so hard that you cause the person who was doing the thing in the first place to fail. Yeah, they're going to have whatever they rolled, and you can either help them or it doesn't matter because they didn't pick your die. Yeah. Uh, and the way this works is basically it, you, when you roll to help, you are also rolling to do something else. You are just throwing away one of your dice so that because otherwise what would happen is, you know, every time anyone does anything, everyone would just roll to help to see if they got a six. Yeah, that's that is what I was saying, that yeah. you have to do your own roll and you lose whatever die you give to them. No, I know. I know. The thing that, that I was trying to really stress on is that you don't do your own role just to pull dice over to throw to them and help. It's you do your own role to do your own thing. So you're someone else. Their example is a guy is looking in a book and then someone comes in and is like, while he's looking in the book, I'll blast the demons that come after him and I'll take one of the dice out of my demon role and I'll throw it over to him. So they are also making a separate and distinct role or distinct role that's doing its own thing that they get one less die on because they're doing it to help the first person. Yes, that is okay. also what I explained. All right, sure, great, awesome. Just making sure. So anyway, when you're doing teamwork... Mm -hmm. Please, yeah, let's do it a third you, time. What you're going to want to do is... Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, out also, stress. Be my teammate. <laughs> so stress, like we mentioned, is going to pop up, and it's the only way for you to lose dice out of things, because stressful situations will pop up and it will be anything from like, oh, you, you know, maybe roll one die because uh, you got cut off in traffic or something annoying happened and maybe you got to roll a die. Mm -hmm. And that goes all the way up to like, oh, uh, you know, a demon from hell pops out at you and runs after you or you watch someone get ripped in half. Like those are when you're rolling like three or four stress dice and yes. they work the opposite way from skill rolls in that mm -hmm. you are taking the lowest result. Yeah. Yeah. And these can cause you to have less dice in the future. Uh, when you, when you get super stressed out, you can lose some of the dice from your other rolls, uh, making it so that you're going to be frazzled. You're worse at doing your job. Uh, and, and that can last for quite some time. Cause the only way to buy off a penalty that's sitting on you is either to take rests between adventures or to spend what are called cool dice, which we still haven't quite gotten to yet. Yeah. Now, as we mentioned, stress can hurt you, but it is also one of the only ways you can get cool. So if mm -hmm. I 
have, you know, some stressful thing jump out at me, I roll my dice. If among the dice, I manage to get a six on all of them such that my lowest roll is a six, I get a point of cool. There's no stress. Nothing bad happens to me. I actually get a benefit out of it, which is why, you know, low stress things you might be thinking like, oh, man, what kind of an asshole GM would be like, oh, someone, you know, flipped you off when you went and got coffee. Roll stress. But (laughs) honestly, rolling one die for stress is your best chance to try and get something good out of it. That's true. So you want those little minor stress events. Although bad stuff, of course, can happen to you if you happen to roll a one on that single die as well. Oh, yeah, because going down from there, if you get a five, nothing happens. And then a four, you suffle, suffle? You snuffle up a guess. You suffer a minus one penalty to the Mm -hmm. next roll, but it's not permanent. A three or a two make you actually lose dice until you can manage to get them back. And a one rips all of the cool you have if you have any. And you lose a number of skill dice equal to the stress dice that you rolled. So even if you are like, oh, I rolled a one on my one die stress result, it's still only one die that you lose because it was an only a one die stress. So you can't get screwed over by it too bad, even on the little bits. It's yes. only if you were to roll a one on like, oh, I just saw someone get their head ripped off and I rolled a one on my stress result of four dice. Okay, yeah, that fucked me up real bad. Yeah, and, and to uh, for the record, this is stress in the way that like metal suffers stress as opposed to like mental stress because you can suffer die penalties to any of the four skill rolls. So you can have technology stress as a thing that happens to you where you uh, you simply are fat-fingering your keyboard today or there's just a problem with your ability to interact with te- with your technology die. It's up to you to describe what that looks like. Yeah, you could just say like, oh man, my account is overdrawn and now I can't get stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it can come as straight up wounds. Like if you lose some athletics dice, you might say like, oh, I, you know, I twisted my ankle or something like that. Or you could just be like, oh, I can't remember a certain thing with academics, whatever it happens to be. It doesn't yeah. need to just be like, oh, you get spookified. Yes, exactly. Uh, did we talk about the various effects that cool dice can generate yet? No. Perfect. We have talked that you can get them and that they are good, but we haven't really gone into what cool dice are fully used for. Great, because I would hate to ever accidentally explain something that you recently explained. Yeah, I would also hate that a lot. Yeah. yeah. So cool <laughs> dice, they can do they can do a couple different things. If you have any of them, Even if you don't spend them, if you just sit on them, you get to ignore the lowest stress die you roll whenever you roll stress, which is nice because it makes you immune to that horrible one result. Oh, yeah. And it goes up. So if you have one cool die, Mm -hmm. you get to resolve. Fuck me in the ass. You get to fuck me in the ass if you have a cool (laughs) die. That's just your benefit. Hey, great. Uh, If you (laughs) that's official, by the way. Yeah. Well, that's for Ray Liotta. And and again, you can purchase cool dice at our Etsy store. If you have mm. a cool die, just one, yeah. then you ignore one of the results. So a one stress die thing, you basically get to roll and say, did I get a six? No, then it doesn't matter. I can ignore it. Yeah. And the more cool dice you have, the more you can ignore. To the point where if you've got like three cool dice, 
you probably really want to be rolling a like four die check because then you're like oh sweet i get to ignore the lowest three so if i get a six at all on those four dice then i'm getting even cooler yeah that's uh, unfortunately unless you're playing as a weird vampire or something that is as cool as you can get three is the maximum number of cool dice you can have on you uh this breaks for what are called weird agents which are if you want to play as a vampire or a ghost or you know anything that's not a human yeah and, and the other thing is, if you get to a point where you absolutely need help with some role, you don't have anything left in the bank or your cards, you're completely tapped, you can always spend any of your cool dice to augment a skill roll. Mm-hmm. And you can also spend them on a one-per-one basis to buy back dice that you've lost to previous uh, cool failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have, if you're one of those weird agents, that's the last, we'll get to it in a bit, of course, but if you're one of them weird agents, then a lot of them have like uh, made up superpowers and those are activated by spending cool dice to activate them. Yeah. So if you decide, hey, I'm going to be a vampire, whatever, mm-hmm. I've got whatever weaknesses and you got to decide like, oh, I'll have to do something that fucks me up if, but you also Start with cool dice, so you're the only person that can actually start out cool, mm-hmm. and you have uh, better dice for your skill dice. You get uh, ten. 10 instead of 9, Yeah, but you don't get a talent, so instead and... of it being like, oh, well, I can't, you know, I don't have computers as a thing that just adds one whenever I use computers, instead you've got a cool thing you can do to spend your cool dice on so i could be like ooh, i've got you know hypnotic eyes as a vampire so i can spend a cool die to hypnotize people yeah and it's not even just that they can actually have a zero in a stat if they want to so if you for example play as a zombie you're welcome to just put zero in academics and be like yeah i'm not much of a thinker yeah and so they are i mean for the werewolf they also have like oh make two characters you have one that's your regular guy and one that is your werewolf So you may be thinking, this all sounds real good. How come everyone's not playing as a cool vampire or something? Well, there's a couple reasons why. Uh, The first one is pretty much straight up just a rule. You can have a maximum of one weird agent in any party, uh, which sounds awfully... Yeah, this isn't about playing a group of vampires. You're supposed to be workaday chumps, and maybe you have a token, like, sorcerer. Yeah, now that might sound a little over-restrictive. When I first read it, I was like, ah, come on. What if I want to play as a group of dumb vampires? Can't I use this to play what we do in the shadows? Let me do that. Uh, But but there is a balancing mechanism for why only one player can be one of these, because they can't contribute to the success of the mission. Yeah, when you roll to do stuff, you don't get franchise dice. So you're just basically a drain on the pool of what they can do because you're like oh i can use stuff from the cards like i can use franchise resources but i do not give back anything yeah exactly and granted it can be powerful to have one anyway if you're like well i made this zombie i have no brains at all i have no technology my contact roll is a one and i've got a ludicrously high strength but hey if you need someone or not athletics but if you need someone to make an insane athletics roll i'm your guy Oh, yeah. So it can be useful in those situations, but the fact that they can't contribute meaningfully to the success of the mission means that they are a uh, not just a risk, but actually a detriment to have in the party, which is why it's so limited. Mm-hmm. 
I don't I don't necessarily personally think that that's the uh, that's a a good solution to this sort of thing. I would just say, hey, if you if everyone wants to play a vampire, just let everyone play a vampire and have that just go from there. Just redu- reduce them so that you, a not a, a regular character is a vampire. Just say that baseline is nine. Well, yeah, one of the things that comes up quite often in this is the hacks for this game where people are like, oh, you know, someone wanted to turn it into, uh, like, uh, we actually are just all playing as, like, sorceress demon hunters, or we all are vampires, or, you know, we changed it so that instead of being a business, we're all, like, a school. And so there's a ton of different things that the writer says, like, oh, yeah, you can check out there's a bunch of hacks for inspectors where you can do a bunch of different things so if there is a way where you're like oh i i don't actually want to just be work a day guys i want to be all ghosts all right then go get a ghost supplement for this game yeah exactly uh okay so we now that we've talked a little bit about how to play weird agents uh there's also a section for how to turn weird. There's some samples of some weird agents to give you ideas on how to do that, ranging from things like demons and sorcerers all the way up to like just straight up superheroes. Yeah, and this is also another situation where the whole having everyone have multiple characters is okay because you can be like, oh, okay, well, everyone can have a weird agent that is in the roster, and then we can go like, oh, you know, we heard that there were cows drained of their blood all right send johnson he's a vampire he should know about this yeah exactly uh then there is a little section on how to run the game uh that more or less i like this because it's similar to uh dr magnet hands in the terms of being a uh a, a guided improv random generator generator mm-hmm. where it's like hey there are roughly i think it's six steps to an average game of this they're called getting the call research, suiting up, field work, cleaning up, and vacation. And each one of those steps you're always going to do, and it tells you what's in them. Like getting the call is the client, you, you uh, get contacted by a client and you learn what the job is. Uh, field work is the one where you actually go out and you do the shit. And uh, this is kind of a neat idea because it helps you uh, focus up and not get kind of lost on a tangent where you're spending all of your time at a bar or whatever. You're actually going to go through and play the entire session, but it is going to be very improv as you make your way through. And the fact that research slash investigation and suiting up being the we get the equipment means if you didn't put a whole lot into, say, athletics or something, then you can be like, yeah, but that's not my thing. The research step is where I really shine because I put a ton into academics. Yeah, and, it's true. You know, up it gives stuffing. Little... Yeah, it gives stuff for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh and then there is a random roll chart for how to generate the the uh, kind of mission. Just because when you get a call, that's going to be the DM's chance to say like, hey, it's an alien invasion and it's happening in an apartment building. Uh, but of course, when you get there, the first person to roll, roll six can, can easily be like, no, it's actually lizard people. Yeah. You know, from the center of the earth. So the client roll chart's cute because it's useful to establish the scene as to why you're going out into the world, but there's certainly no mechanic that's forcing it to be correct. And also the chart isn't, uh, oh, there are ghosts, there is skeletons. It's nothing like that. It's just the personality of the person calling you, what they are, what Mm -hmm. the occurrence is, and the occurrences are all just like, oh, something weird happened. There's a weird sound. There's an odd smell. I saw a strange light. Like, it doesn't say 
specifically aliens are around. You saw three strange lights. Yeah. Well, no, I saw four. I'm pretty there sure are there four th- lights. There, I'm pretty sure it was five. There were definitely five lights there. You saw five lights. You saw it. Uh-huh. And then it you're gives cool. you a location, so, you know, you just know where you're headed to begin with. Now, because the roll is 2d6, it's a 2 through 12, but it also means the 7 is more heavily weighted, so your average call is going to be a weird housewife that heard something weird in an apartment building. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is perfectly fine. Yeah. But it could also be a blasé aristocrat who heard about an abduction in a parallel dimension if you roll all 12s. Or and a honestly, horny I would love monster that. saw a transformation underground. I'd be a horny monster too if I saw a good transformation underground. Hell I'd yeah. Like, Fuck yeah, get me in on that transformation. Is there a spot where you can pause as they turn into a, 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 an uh, inanimate object and it looks super cool or silly because their face looks ridiculous? Yeah, I hope so. Because that's my favorite thing about fetish transformation art is that that one panel that's always there where they just look hilarious. Hmm. And if you want a sample G-rated version of that, just look at the cover of any one of any single Animorphs book. Indeed. And just look at the middle one where the person's like half starfish or whatever, and it's always the best. Oh. Is there one okay. that turns into a starfish? I'm just going to assume that yes. So after you are done with your mission, you've gotten however many successes of franchise dice that you need to do it. At the end, in order to get back all of those dice that you lost from stress... You're going to do vacation. Mm-hmm. And the vacation is basically just, uh, you know, you go, you if you've got any cool dice, you can spend those to get rid of your stress penalties. Uh, or you spend franchise dice that you earned from the mission to get rid of them. So yeah. if we ended with 24 franchise dice was what we needed to finish the mission. And, you know, between all of the players, you had six missing dice worth of stress. Okay, great. Then you get rid of that. Now you have 18 dice left to put into your various cards or the bank. Mm -hmm. And you can also put some, if you happen to have a weird agent in the party, they can go into their cool dice to reload their ability to use their superpowers. Yes. And like we mentioned, there is no limit to that. So if you wanted to be like, Fuck it, we just really like the fact that our sorcerer can cast spells. We give him nine cool dice at the end of the mission. Great. Yeah, you can totally do that. Uh, then finally, there's a little section for what happens. Well, it's not finally, there's plenty more left back here. There's a section for what happens if you actually run out of dice, the bank is empty, and you go into debt. And it actually is possible to go down into debt uh, and and uh, have to pay your way out of them by going on missions without any kind of uh, bank dice or franchise dice availability. Oh, yeah. If you end up just completely wiping out your bank and your cards and everything else, then at that point you have to take out a loan and you get 10 dice, well, Mm -hmm. up to 10 dice (laughs) that you can put in the bank, but these are all bank dice. You can't put them on your cards. And that means if you roll a one and you get rid of all 10 dice, you have you're now back to having to get another loan. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want to have that happen because your cards stay out of service and everyone hates you because you're just super in debt and you suck now, apparently. This book was written in 2003 before everyone was in incredible debt forever. (laughs) Yeah, so the way it works is if I take 10 dice and I go, okay, my loan is going to be 10 dice goes into the bank. Okay, great. 
Uh, at the end of the mission, if you still have any dice left in the bank, great. You have to pay back the number of dice that you took plus one. So if you took 10, mm -hmm. you have to lose 11 dice at the end, and then you can distribute the last of your franchise dice from the mission. Uh, then there's a little section on what happens if you would like to play in a world where it's fine for your characters to die. Uh, if this happens, you just let the, D the uh, DM or GM know that death is on the table now, and it does two effects. One, your character can die at any random moment if they happen to roll badly and it makes sense for the story for them to get murdered. And two, everyone gets hazard pay. I think it's you get an extra die for every five dice you get for franchise dice that you earn during a mission. Yeah. Because you're uh, you're accepting additional risk to go with your uh, your regular responsibilities, so they pay out with a little bonus. But the book, you know, goes ahead, go ahead. Uh, excuse me, goes ahead and tells you the good things about this, which is that it doesn't really matter if your character dies. So it'll probably be really funny, and also it's very quick and easy to make another one. Yeah, and since there is no character progression, it doesn't matter. You didn't lose anything. Yeah. So there you go. That's pretty much the. Uh, the there's a few other things towards the back here. Mostly just recommending that you have a nice time and that you be good about uh, how to play, uh, how to be improvisational, how to support the players. There's a DM guide that's pretty much like, hey, this is going to be weird for you because you're going to be doing a lot less work than usual. But just try and lean into it. Uh, there is something we didn't talk about, which was a couple of the different types of like improv that they recommend you do, with one of them being the uh, reality show style confessional chair. Yeah. Uh, the confessional is just... At any point in time, you can do a cutaway, you know, the office style confessional chair where you're like, okay, now you can break the fourth wall, address the actual players instead of their characters, and you can use it to add new plot elements. You can use it to, you know, rewrite what's going on because you could do like, uh, go to a confessional and be like, oh, Everyone was really spooked out right now, and at that point, I was really glad I had decided to put a grenade in my back pocket. Uh, yeah, it, which is perfect, because it lets you kind of buy in with with meta-narrative controls, which is the sort of thing that, uh, it's very ahead of its time for 2002. Oh, yeah. And you can even say, you know, essentially set up shit for the future and be like, oh, yeah, we all thought, you know, Mr. Johnson was great, you know, until he turned on us later. And then, you know, all right, at some point in this, he has to turn on us. Yes, exactly. I love that kind of stuff. That's a great way to to do a kind of uh, a, a, a narrative that isn't necessarily flowing with a regular linear structure, which is very fun to do. Yeah, it just lets you add random crap whenever you want to, but only one per scene. So, like, you can't start a scene and then everyone gets to do their confessional chair. Yeah, but that's okay, because ultimately even having one is going to make it a lot of fun to, to throw the narrative out of whack. Yeah. So do you want to get into the favorites and least favorites? Sure thing. What was your favorite thing about this? Uh, I honestly thought that I was going to hate how stress worked. Uh, the fact that when I initially saw it, I immediately went to, you know, how much does this mess me up? How much does this show up, which is fairly often, and I thought, oh man, this is going to be super punishing, but mm -hmm. honestly, going through it, the stuff I mentioned during the episode as far as like, oh, you actually kind of want to have like little one die stresses to start with because maybe you can get some cool and then that helps you out later on in the mission, and you know, even if you get 
super stressed out, you can always, you know, fall back on franchise dice or anything like that. It's because of the narrative structure. You can always just say like, oh, I'm not going to roll athletics to hit this guy. Uh, I instead use a soldering iron and use technology. And you're like, okay, great. It's so flowy that there's not too much punishment to it, but it does add a little, you know, stakes to it instead of just being like, all right, keep rolling until you win. Yeah, I, honestly, I was a little worried when I saw the teamwork section that I was starting to think, oh, there's just too many ways to pass dice around in this game. Uh, but ultimately, I think they did it. That it's a fairly balanced system that, or not balanced necessarily, but elegant system that looks like it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So what would you say is your favorite thing in here? Well, I'm going to say my favorite thing, and we, we just talked about it at the very end there, was the confessional chair thing that can really mess with kind of the narrative timing and basically just on the fly throw hooks to other players and to the to the GM so that they can just do random stuff at random or know that things are going to be coming down the line that they need to work into the story. I like that kind of thing. I mm. love uh, when I, when I play role playing games, one of my favorite things to do is at the start of the game, throw out as many hooks as I possibly can just so that the, huh. the uh, D, DM or GM has something to, to work with. And so that I have stuff to pick up myself later on. Mm-hmm. So being able to do that this dramatically to just say like, and that's when they turned on or, or, Little did we know that later on they would all turn out to be dinosaurs in disguise is just a great, a, a really fun way to interact with that mechanic. All right. What would you say is your least favorite thing? You know, there's not a lot to hate here, but I feel like probably the bank is my least favorite thing in here. Uh, it feels like there's just so much threat with trying to use it that you would almost never want to put dice into your bank at the end of a mission. You'd be like, oh no, all of our dice are going to go into the cards except for like two, because if you try and really interact with that bank mechanic, any one single roll can just completely fuck you over. And that's a feels bad. Yeah, that's not ultimately you want to keep that that bank super low, uh, which means that it it more or less potentially could have failed in its design intent, uh, which is that you don't want to build a good bank. You want to build a little tiny bank and never use it because it'll it'll go away from you at at just the drop of a hat. The same chance it has of being good, it has of being really, really, really bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, most of the time you're going to be looking at it going like either I'm just going to use this the way I would any other die or I lose stuff. It's just, man, rolling more than one especially feels like you are just asking to lose your shit. Because if you roll and you're like, oh, sweet, I got a six and a one on my bank dice. Well, I guess we get an extra bonus die in the bank and then all of it goes away. Yep. Nope. I'm right there with you. I'm going to say my least favorite thing. I know I said the confessional chair is my favorite thing, but the description of it in play also included something I didn't care for and that I would probably not want to interact with if I was playing the game. Uh, in the example, the description that they use is uh, uh, the first player to get in the confessional chair says that one of the other characters pl- is unusually flirty. Oh, yeah, that they were flirting with someone and the confessional chair can give people characteristics if you describe them as being a thing. So yeah, if I get and- into the chair and I'm like, oh, man, Jeff was 
really grumpy when he came in today. Now you have the grumpy characteristic. And if you play to it, we can get a bonus franchise die. But eh, it's also just saying, I want to make your character do a thing. Yeah, basically it's grabbing someone else's character when I like the idea of grabbing the narrative and messing with that. That's a perfectly fine thing that I think is fun and interesting. But saying, oh, you have to be extra flirty today is kind of a a line cross for me that I'm not a fan of. Yeah, I mean, there is no penalty if you don't. It's just an incentive to do it. But it is one of those things where you're like, you probably shouldn't just jump in and tell someone else what their character is. You spent the entire day farting. (laughs) You're real gassy today. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. Why would you do that? Why would you use your confessional to fuck up my day? Yeah. So I'm not I'm not a huge fan. Uh, that was the only thing that said, that's a fairly minor complaint, because like like John pointed out, you don't it doesn't even really have any kind of mechanical enforcement. You just don't get a reward if you don't do the thing. Exactly. But still, I'm just like, hey, if you're going to grab the confessional chair and use it, you should use it to, to modify the narrative, not to tell the other players how to play their characters. Yeah. And especially with the uh, example of play being like, ooh, now you have to be flirty. I'm like, oh, don't be that yeah Don't exactly be gross that was that was one of the worst words they could have used there was a lo- there were a lot of ways that that could have gone better yeah so there you go that's gonna be my least favorite thing would you play this game yeah sure i would give this a go uh it's like we mentioned at the start it's good for you know one shot stuff i wouldn't feel bad about you know spending a few hours playing this and then being done with it i could see playing this for longer but it's also something that like if you put it down, you don't feel like, oh, man, my character, I was just about to hit fifth level. So it's it's nice. I'd play it. Yeah, same here. I think this is also a really good game for APs because we talked about that back at the top of the show. Uh, it's got that perfect improv flow for a good AP session because uh, a lot of people, you know, they, they hear AP and they think critical role and, uh, you know, uh, the the McElroy or McElroy brothers and so on, which all seem to use D and D, but there are so many better games out there for narrative flow and for improv for a whole group, and this I think is a really good example of one of them. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, both of us would play this game, so that's nice. It's very now, nice. We're very nice. We are very nice people. Uh, now, if you would like to hear more about this game, we're going to go make characters for it. And because this is the kind of game where making characters takes a hot second, we're going to do the whole thing on the air. This is going to be one of those bonus contents where we make the characters in discussion with each other. We make the franchise in discussion with each other. And those are always a lot of fun to do. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and if you right. want to hear that, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash system mastery and support us at the $1 level or above. Damn, $1. That's cheap. It's the cheapest level we got, and it's the cheapest deal in podcasting, aside from all the free shows that we also do, and that a lot of <laughs> other people do. Uh, so, for a single dollar per System Mastery episode, you unlock an incredible amount of bonus content, dating back, oh gosh, six years at this point. There is so much in there to go find. Uh, every time, what we'll do is we make characters of the game we just reviewed, but there are other levels with other unlocks you can get as well, up to something like seven more shows, maybe it's even nine now, more shows a month. Yeah, Just, a lot of shows. It, yeah. If you need a lot of podcasts, we make a lot of podcasts, so let us make podcasts for you. Yeah, we make podcasts so you don't have to, James. Yeah, James, stop making podcasts. Wait, he's good at it. Why would I want... <laughs> James, get out of sure, here. yeah. Get out of here. Stop making good podcasts. <laughs> James, you're, you're not allowed to sit in on us anymore. <laughs> oh, that's right. He's in the room right now. 
Don't yeah, worry, you I already get turned off here. his. I turned off his mic. I turned off all their mics. I'm taking them back. <laughs> this is my mic, and I'm taking it back. I'm taking them all back. All right, there you go. That's the Patreon. <laughs> go support us. Otherwise, you all have a really good week. <laughs>